chapter 3. For those who may be visiting, we typically make it our practice to preach through uh, books of the Bible and uh, in their entirety, one passage at a time, in order that, um, number one, uh, we would not just uh, jump on our, um, our hobby horse or or that I would not jump on my hobby horse and and uh, preach what I want to preach, but rather I would, uh, as far as possible, let God speak. And um, also, uh, just our our commitment to uh, the Word of God as God's inerrant, inspired, authoritative Word. We want Him to speak. Um, and so, that is why we... We go through the passages of the, the books of the Bible uh, one at a time. We are in Philippians chapter 3. Uh, our text this morning is verses 7 through 9. The Apostle Paul says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith. Let's pray. Father, as I have read Your Word and your people's hearing, so I pray for your help uh, as I proclaim it, and I pray uh, for all who are here. Uh, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to receive and obey your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, I've done something a little different this morning. Um, I second, started second-guessing myself, as I am uh, want to do from time to time, and decided to take away my first two pages of my notes. And so, um, and I was even as I'm opening my Bible, thinking, should I should I bring them back and use them? But I have put them over to the side. Um, the good news is that it will not be as long as it would have otherwise been. The bad news is I don't know that it would be any longer than normal. Uh, so, to jump right in, last week you remember how Paul was recounting uh, his testimony in Philippians 3. Last week we saw how he said that everything he had placed his trust in Everything that he found confidence in before God, he really found after he came to Christ to be false, to be um, to be not only unneedful for his salvation, but rather to be a complete hindrance. 
This week, uh, in our passage that we are reading this morning, he's telling the Philippians how he came to recognize that Christ is superior to anything and everything else. Christ is superior to all the religious ritual that he had been relying on. Paul, I mean, and and Christ is is superior to all his self righteousness and all his good works. He is saying that Christ is superior. In our passage, Paul's doing something that you um, that um, that you with an accounting degree will will particularly appreciate. He draws a ledger. He draws, and it's almost like he takes a piece of paper right down the middle of the page. He draws a line. In one column, he has he's written the word gain. In the other column, he's written the word loss. And so he starts listing out all the things that he finds as gain. Well, before he came to Christ, um, we saw last week all the things that he listed as gain. Verse 4, Though I myself have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And so he starts listing in the gain column all these things. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And he says, he lists all these things in the gain column in verses 4 through 6. But then when we come to verse 7, we see what, we see that he takes all these things in the gain column and in one move, moves them over to the lost column. So he says in verse 7, "...but whatever gain I had, I counted as a loss for the sake of Christ." And Paul did not just move his religious standing over to the lost column. We see in in verse 8 that he moved everything in his life over to the lost column. Uh, Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. So all these things that we just listed from verses 4 through 6, in one move, well, they didn't have computers then. I guess he could have, but if they had computers, he could have done the cut and paste and moved it, moved it over to the lost column. Um, I don't know how he did it. They didn't have erasers and whatever, but um, but he moved everything over to the lost column, and then he also listed other things that would have been a loss to him as well. When he came to Christ, he lost. Friendships. Certainly, he had a status within the people of Israel, within the society, the circles that he moved. He was a, a Pharisee. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, as regarding the law, blameless. People looked up to Paul. He took his status, moved it over to the lost column. 
his comfort, he moved it over to the lost column. Being a Pharisee and having the education that he had would have undoubtedly also made him a wealthy person. He lost his wealth. And he maybe even lost his wife because of his faith in Jesus Christ. You may be surprised to hear me mention Paul's wife, but it was normal for a Pharisee, and even expected for a Pharisee to be married. F.F. Bruce, a uh, tremendous scholar, a very conservative scholar, speculates that Paul's wife may have deserted him when he became a Christian. Of course, this is impossible to prove. Uh, if you want to try and look, uh, check me on that from from F. F. Bruce, because he made a a, a a fairly decent argument. Um, it was in Paul, apostle of the heart set free, uh, where he where he mentions this. And the important thing, however, for us to know this morning is that Jesus Christ became Paul's one and only credit. He became the one and only thing, the one and only person who was listed in Paul's gain column. Everything else was listed in the lost column. Look at verse 8. The very last, um, very last phrase, for His sake... I have lost all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. This past week, um, here in Tampa, everyone uh, certainly knows, um, the, the city hosted the Republican National Convention. And if you watched the convention, you saw that uh, between speakers, they would pan the audience, pan out in the room, and you would see the camera every, every now and then stop on a deck clock that they had uh, hanging up. And the deck clock was, um, was registering the debt that had, that had accrued just since the beginning of the, of the uh, Republican National Convention. But it would never stop long enough, and I'm bad with numbers anyway. I wanted to count all the zeros. And I tried to count them one time, and then I realized that there was a, a decimal that they were also counting cents, and so I, I, I didn't get to count how many zeros there on the debt clock. Um, but it got me to thinking, because our nation has a tremendous debt, $16 trillion in debt. And as I was thinking about the debt, and I was also thinking about Paul's little ledger. In my mind's eye, I saw a little ledger. And I saw the $16 trillion. And I thought, how are we ever going to move that over to the other column? Will we ever move that, um, that debt out of, out of the wrong column and pay it off? $16 trillion. That is a 16 with 12 zeros after it. Will our nation ever pay off these debts? Not in our lifetimes. In fact, I don't even know if we will ever pay them back. As, um, as you listen to the, the, the different politicians, even the ones who are most focused on it, 
it sounds as if they are just trying to slow the rate of the growth of the debt rather than actually um, looking to pay it off. And plus, it's really kind of a Ponzi scheme because you have one nation that borrows from another nation that borrows from another nation that borrows from the first nation just to make the debt seem a little smaller. And um, I think the only way this debt would ever be erased is for a worldwide and very deep recession to come along and wipe out all the fake money that has been printed out of thin air. But the reason why I mention all this is I bring it up to underscore a point. We are born with a ledger. There is a gain and loss ledger that we are born with by virtue of the fact that we are born in Adam. By virtue of the fact that we are born as sinners because Adam was a sinner and we are his descendants. And not only that, we add to that ledger every day with our sins. And not only the sins we commit outwardly, but the sins we commit in our desires and in our minds. We have an enormous amount of debt built up in our ledger. Each sin we commit is marked in our loss column. And in the other side of the column, on the other side of the ledger, is God's holiness and His justice. The reason I brought up the national debt is our national debt will be paid off much easier we have a greater chance of paying off our national debt than we have of removing even one single sin from our own ledger that we have committed against God. It is easier for us to pay off $16 trillion in debt than it is for us to pay off one single sin against God. Why is that? Is it because our sin is so bad? Well, maybe. And maybe not. The real reason why we are unable to pay off these sins is because the other side of the ledger is God's holiness. His infinite holiness. His infinite justice. No amount of effort, no amount of ritual, no amount of sacrifice will ever be able to wipe away even one sin off of our ledger. The good news is Jesus can do that. He can wipe every sin off of our ledger. This illustrates how glorious Jesus is and how much we need Him. He took the totality of millions of people's sins upon Himself while He was there on the cross. And He was able to perfectly pay the full penalty against an infinitely holy and just God. And He was able to do that for millions of people with their millions of sins all in the space of three hours. They were paid in full. Something we could never do regardless of how hard we try. He did. And it wasn't just the past sins. You know where I'm going with this because I do this all the time. It was our past sins, our present sins, even our future sins that we have yet to commit. 
He paid for. They have been paid in full. When He said it is finished, our sins were paid off in totality. The Apostle Paul put Christ in his gain column alone because he knew that only Christ could pay off his sins. Paul also recognized that Christ is gain. <coughs> Excuse me. Christ is gain because he understood that, that Jesus is the only way to God. And this Jesus is knowable. Look at what he says in verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of, and here it is, knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Christ is not simply a theological doctrine or a religious hero from days gone by. He is the risen Lord. He is the Son of God. He is in heaven seated at God's right hand. And He loves to fellowship with His people whom He purchased with His own blood. John 10 says that He calls His sheep by name. Furthermore, in John 10, He says He knows His sheep and His sheep know Him. In other words, to believe in Christ is to know Him personally. Do you know Him? Do you have a personal relationship with Him? Paul also recognized that Christ is supreme. Again, uh, here in our text, but verses seven and eight. Whatever was to my, whatever gain I had, verse seven, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. And indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Compared to everything else, or comparing everything with Jesus, everything else is loss. In fact, he uses a stronger word than loss in the uh, second half of, um, of verse 8. He says, For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Compared to everything else, or compared to Christ, everything else is garbage. Or to use the literal term that Paul used, everything compared to Christ, is dung, manure. In other words, Paul recognized that Jesus Christ is the King of the universe and therefore He was Paul's King, the King of his life. He had the place of supremacy in Paul's life. To know Christ is to know His supremacy. So is there anything in your life that occupies occupies a place of supremacy above Jesus Christ. Is He most important to you? And then also I want you to look at verse 9. We've been looking at verses 7 and 8, but I want you to look at verse 9 here. As he continues, the sentence began in verse 8. He says, "...and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends upon faith." I love this verse. Um, 
the, he says here, uh, he uses a passive. Earlier, he's using the active that I may gain Christ, that I that I may lose everything in order that I may know Him. But here in verse nine, he says that I may be found in Him. Using uh, the passive voice, if you belong to Jesus Christ, if you trust in Jesus Christ, if you have found Jesus Christ, it is in reality because He has found you. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and gave Himself up for us. Even while we were Christ's enemies, He died for us. And so Paul recognizes that here and he says that I may be found in Him. Remember how Adam and Eve, when they sinned against God in the Garden of Eden, they tried to hide from God and God went and found them. He sought them out. And what did He find when He found them? Well, He found them hiding in the bushes with some strategically placed fig leaves. And that's kind of like what we are like when we try and cover ourselves with our own religious performance. Might as well be trying to cover ourselves before an Almighty God with fig leaves. But when Jesus finds us, He wraps us in the perfect righteousness of God. Look again at verse 9. He says, And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own. Trying to have a righteousness on your own, that's like trying to cover yourself with some small little fig trees, fig leaves. He says, Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends upon faith. That's the only way we can stand before a holy God. It's being wrapped in the perfect righteousness of God that Christ gives us. And then he says, it depends upon faith right at the end of the sentence. Um, And a little earlier, right in the middle of the sentence, he says it comes through faith. There's nothing we can do to earn it. There's nothing we can do to deserve it. There's nothing we can do to possess it except trust in Jesus Christ because He has done it all. I want to make um, five fairly short applications and put them under the heading of how does one live who has gained Christ? Well, first of all, If you have gained Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, Christ is your priority. Whenever you are called to choose between anything in this world and Christ, if you belong to Him, you will choose Him. If He is your priority, then He will be your priority. So let me ask you, do you find time to spend time with Him? Do you choose hobbies or friendships or money or anything else in this world over Jesus Christ? And I'm not saying these things are bad. But in the big scheme of things, where does Christ fall in your priorities? Secondly, Christ is our goal. 
You can enjoy the, the good things in this world. Uh, God has given us a wonderful world to live and to enjoy. And we live in a very affluent society. We shouldn't build our, 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 um, beat ourselves up about that. We possess many wonderful things. We can travel to many wonderful places. This is a privilege that most people in the world simply do not get to enjoy. But if Christ is your goal, then all these things, all these gifts of affluence will not distract you from Jesus Christ. In fact, the blessings we enjoy must be a means to enjoy Christ more if we're going to truly enjoy them in the way that God intends. Otherwise, we're missing His blessings. Thirdly, and related to the previous two points, Christ is our treasure if we belong to Him. It means that we will only ultimately treasure Jesus Christ. Calvin in his commentary on this passage said that when battling a storm, you know, when you're out on the sea on a small little boat and the storm comes up, everybody gladly throws their possessions overboard to lighten the ship and survive the storm. But after the storm subsides, after they are out of danger, everyone tends to bewail the loss of all their possessions. The funny thing is, Paul didn't do that. Paul says he lost everything for the sake of Christ, but he didn't look back like Lot's wife. He didn't regret all that he lost. He didn't complain. Rather, he knew that he could not lose his treasure because his treasure would never let go of him. Nothing in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His treasure was Christ. And He suffered the loss of all these other things. And He was contented. He was happy. He was rejoicing because Christ was His treasure. That's why He said in chapter 1, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Christ was His treasure. Is He your treasure? Fourth, Christ is our joy. In this passage where Paul is talking about losing all things, there is not even a hint of regret. Therefore, to know Christ, because Christ was His treasure, Therefore, Christ was also his joy. Paul knew that even though I lost these things, nothing will be able to separate me from he who I treasure more than anything else. Therefore, nothing can separate me from my true joy. That's why he says here at the beginning of chapter 3, look at 3 verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Because he's going to tell them about Christ, his treasure. And then finally, Christ is our confidence if we belong to Christ. You know, I don't believe Paul laughed in the face of losing all things. Um, he didn't just brush it off when he lost all things. I, I'm sure it was painful. 
um, tremendously painful, brought him many tears. In fact, he says here in verse in verse eight, "For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things." He he certainly did suffer. We could look at different passages of scripture, uh, namely Second Corinthians eleven and twelve, that talk about his his suffering. But in spite of all that. Christ was in His gain column. And He was going to possess Christ. Or He knew that Christ possessed Him. That Christ would never let Him go. And so, Paul was prepared for any suffering that came His way. He says we can rejoice in our sufferings, Romans chapter 5. I can be content in all things, Philippians chapter 4. Why? Christ was His confident. If Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you have been found in Him not having a righteousness of your own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that is by faith, that is centered in Christ, you can have this same confidence. You can have, you have all you need to face any situation, any set of circumstances. Christ is our everything. You gain Christ. You know Christ. You're found in Christ. You have everything you need to live this life confidently, joyfully, for God. Without Him, you'll find out one day that all these things that you have in your gain column will ultimately be lost. Paul says, trust in Him. Let's pray. Father, I pray for Your people that as they have confidence in Christ, that they would stand firm having their life uh, founded solidly on the rock who is Christ. And for all those who do not know Him, Father, I pray that You would show them that their life is built on the shifting sand, that it will not be able to withstand the storms and turbulences of life. And I pray that You would draw them to Christ in order that they may be found in Him, not having a righteousness of their own, but rather would have Christ in Him alone. I pray in His name. Amen.